Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Happy Friday, everyone. Even if it's Tuesday when you're listening, today for the next hour or so is a Friday because this is a podcast. We're going to have a great conversation. The guest, I'm excited to talk to her today. I couldn't think of a better way to end the week to have a fantastic conversation, learn about marketing strategy. She is a marketing thought leader, business strategist with over 17 years of experience. Man, we're going to get into some things today. Sales, marketing, corporate strategy. It's that business strategy. It's not just marketing in the silo, but understanding how it fits into the whole world of business and high-level B2B strategic business planning experience. Man, I can't wait to get talk about planning. She's an award-winning thought leader and director of marketing communications at Taconic Biosciences. Kelly Owen Grover, welcome to the show. Thank you, Casey. Happy to be here. Excited to talk to you today. Yes, yes, I know. And it was, it's a, it was a struggle because we almost got into like three or four or five different topics that we were just like, let's go, let's talk about this stuff. Um, you, you have experienced a lot of things. You've seen it working, you've seen it not working. So I'm going to go ahead and stop talking and pass you this thing. It's kind of heavy, but I know you got this. Ugh. Okay, <laughs> here you go. Thor's hammer. Go ahead, grab You're taking that. Thor's hammer. Got I got okay. it. I got you it. Go. You got it. You got it. Take Thor's hammer. Smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. I love it. So you and I did talk about several different topics, and there's one that I think isn't really discussed often enough that certainly means quite a lot to me, and I think really places marketing beyond just a department and really as a hub of corporate strategy. And that is the concept that the go-to-market pathway isn't a relay race. We're not passing the baton from the product group to the marketing group to the sales group. It's a feedback loop. It's a flywheel. And you're constantly refining and improving that process. But again, it is not a linear one. So that is what I would like to smash today. Yeah, it's the idea of go to market and, and how it ties into product, right? Like it, it all, in all the innovation around there, marketing really should have its hands in that. I don't, I don't think we realize that. I don't think we, I mean, marketers are what we're kind of CYA with leads and, but there's so many other areas that we need to play a part. Agreed. I was thinking of real world examples to kind of kick off this conversation. And I, right. I pulled out the famous four P's of marketing, right? So you've got price, position, promotion in place. Almost anybody, whether you're a marketer or not, you guys know the four P's. But when you think about it, okay, here's the four P's of marketing, but all of those things aren't really decided by marketing. Or even if they are, you certainly aren't deciding them the day before you launch, huh. right? So that conversation starts way before launch date, right? And it doesn't start in the silo of just marketing. It starts in conjunction with your product team, right? As they are developing this concept and with your sales team and how you're going to ultimately position it within the marketplace. So to me, that felt like a really familiar and tangible way to kick off a conversation about something that, to be quite frank, it is complex, right? It's, it's 
interesting by definition because it's more than just marketing, but I think that's also what makes it a little hard sometimes for people to wrap their hands around. How, how do I approach the product side? How, how do I integrate with that? And I'm just thinking department, but that functionality, that part in the, in the creation, in the flywheel, how do you, let's say you've never done that. Like in, and I don't even know if I have, like I've only been like a digital marketer or maybe I have been involved with product, but I don't really know my place. So what, what's your advice to marketers? How do they start getting involved and what does that ideal involvement look like? Sure. I mean, it's company dependent. So I've worked at companies where this is really well defined and it predated me. I've worked at companies where we were really myself and others, the ones who created it and everywhere in between. So I think step one is just to understand what exists within your company and who currently plays within that, that atmosphere. Um, Regardless of what the answer is to that question, to me, the success is dependent on three things. You need a process, right? This is extremely complicated, long-term, multifunctional type stuff, right? You have to have a defined process. You have to have data, right? And in this case, we're talking market research. We're talking about your sales funnel. We're talking about post-launch adoption and revenue. And lastly, but I would say most of all, is you need engagement and engagement across not just the other two departments in this flywheel that we're talking about, and that's again, product and sales, but ultimately every department within a company probably is gonna come in and out of this process along the way. And to go back to your original question, right? If you don't know where to start, where do you start? I actually think engagement is the first step because no matter where your company is on that spectrum of super well-defined process or hey, we just started thinking about this last Tuesday, engagement is the part that you start with because no matter what the answer is, the process is never going to be perfect, right? The data is never going to be perfect. And that is part of why I think about it as a flywheel, not just that these three departments are working in a pattern that constantly repeats itself and together, but the process itself is constantly being refined in an iterative process and improved over time as you get better at it. So I'll pause there. I think I think I just said a lot, but I, I think to answer your question, I think you have to start talking to your colleagues. You have to start understanding the pressures, the motivations of their side of the world and just start putting pen to paper. Wow. This, and this, this helps too, because it, right, the process to find, refine the data, the market research, these things are never perfect. It's part of an ongoing cycle, but really engagement getting outside of your single department, the box you're in, getting outside and communicating. What does this look like in a, in a perfect world? You mentioned you've worked at places where it, it's really working. What, what does it even feel like for a marketer to interface with, with the product side and the sales side like that? So it feels very consistent. Maybe if you are asking me to pick a specific word, I think consistent is the word I would choose. And I say that for a couple of different reasons. One, I think the best processes are the ones that are repeatable and scalable, and you only get there if it's consistent, right? If every product's going to be different, right? So that experience will be unique each time around. But my role, the deliverables, the things I need to do, and the way we interact with each other, that type of consistency is what makes it easy to navigate 
each one of these um, product development processes. Okay. The other thing I would bring up with consistency is, especially for our sales team, the people who are the voice of the things that we bring to market, the more consistent we can be in what we give them, the tools that we give them, how they're organized, the messages you're going to give, here's all of the different assets that you can tap into. If they know what to expect each time, then the learning curve for a new product launch is limited to just that product, which is a lot easier of a lift than combining the whatever information on that product. Plus, here's all the different tools and resources that you now need to learn as well, right? It right. makes it easier to do this over and over and over again very easily. You know, when you mentioned the word consistent and that it felt consistent, I think a lot of us want things to feel more consistent. We're kind of like, maybe it's our own fault chasing laser dots like cats sometimes, but that that consistency doesn't isn't always there. Sometimes we we're constantly rebuilding the same thing or changing or pivoting on every different foot is is that how, how do how do we break that that spell and that trend of being inconsistent to to get more to that consistency so i have the luxury of working with a bunch of scientists so when we get together everybody's nice. thinking about it from the scientific method so that's how i'm going to answer your question and so i think part of the lure of consistency is if you thought about it as an experiment, it means you're removing variables, right? And so to your point about consistency and testing, if most of the elements are consistent, then as you do A-B testing or you pilot a new way of doing something or you introduce a variable, it's easier to isolate the impact that that one change had, right? Versus if every time you develop a product and launch it and sell it, everything could be different along the way. Well, when it works or doesn't work, how do you know what really yeah. influenced it, right? It Good would be idea. a horrible scientific experiment. So to me, that's the other reason why you control what you can, because of course you want to innovate here and there. And that's not what I'm saying. You want to be able to make those improvements in that flywheel over time. But the stuff that you hold constant makes it easier to see mm -hmm. what impact those changes have. So true, right? Just removing the variables, treating it like a scientific experiment and not changing a few things, allowing yourself, to, like you said, innovate on a few things, but you got to have some consistency so that you can know what was actually affecting, you know, what yep. was the, the driver of the change. Yeah. Um, question, you know, as I hear about these different groups and interacting with them, I've often heard the concept of like sales are, are internal customers. Do you feel that way? And if so, how do you feel about product? Are they are they internal customers, partners, coworkers? How how do you view the other departments in terms of your relationship to them? It's a really good question. And I've been in sales and and I've definitely I consider it a really big mantle to shoulder, right? You are in charge of bringing in the money that fuels everything. It keeps the lights on, it lets me pay for my house. It right. is a massive responsibility and so I always work hard to honor that because I know what it's felt like to, to have that mantle. However, to your question, I think it's somewhat not the right word to say that they are internal customer, no more than I'm the internal customer of product and they are to me. And I think that's part of what I want to smash, right? Is if it's a relay race, if we're passing the right. baton, it feels yeah. that way, right? Here, I'm done. 
let me give you all of the responsibility and let me go walk away. And of course, as soon as you say it that way, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? That's not partnership. Yeah. And so that's what I don't love about that characterization. But that's not to say that our job isn't to make sales successful, right? And it's not product's job to partner with us to create fantastic products that address needs of the marketplace. But again, right. it's just that terminology that I think holds us back sometimes from asking critical questions, right? Because if someone's your customer, you almost want to do whatever they ask of you as opposed right. to solutioning with them, right. right? What's your need behind the need to kind of, you know, use that old school sales jargon. Um, that's kind of what I think about here in that as product is expert in their area, marketing for our sales for theirs, I don't want you to always say yes to me. I want you to tell me what I need to hear. I want you to be honest. And so that's the one thing that I would say with thinking about other departments as your customer. You know, I've never heard that. I think I totally agree with it. I totally agree with it. Um, that's like you sort of slipped in another myth on me about, well, <laughs> I know it's related, but the idea yeah. of just calling them a customer, I'm sure there's books on it. I'm sure there's conference topics on it, but it's totally right that kind of a word gets us in trouble just like passing the baton uh, you always hear the lobbing a grenade over the wall you know right. where it's like i don't really care what happens to it now because i've passed it on um yeah. and and i could accidentally and i guess worse than at least a baton you know that they at least have it in their hand or you yeah. look like a doofus too on the track like guys you gotta work together here but throwing it over the wall you don't even know if they caught it you don't even care if they caught it um yeah. so so not customer, but not throwing things over the wall, um, but really working more of like a partnership or something like that might be a better, better word for that. Because you don't, you're right. You don't want sales shouldn't, even if they think they want, neither of you want the other person to just say yes to something. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how marketing gets in trouble. Just becoming the print shop for sales. Just sure. I'll, I'll make that. I'll make that. Okay. Do we, right. what's the need? What do you, what customer segment are we going after? That kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. And I think that's the other part of the process that I will highlight. So, you know, ideal future state is the world's most elegant process, right? And everybody kind of dreams of it. But even when you're there, the reason why I highlighted engagement as the number one priority is the process won't fix you. The process won't fix a product that is not right for the market, right? Critical thinking, humans that are going to interrogate each other, right? And challenge each other via the process, right? The process brings you together at defined milestones to have these conversations. That's the value, but not that it's going to catch missteps along the way. That's not the goal of this, or in my opinion, any process. Interesting. Another thing, you really, um, you excel at um, really calling out the, uh, I, I don't know, it, it's, there's something else to that because you start with a phrase saying, you know, elegant processes, you know, it's the, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm thinking, yes, yes, we love process and let's map it out. And it's, it's the thing, it's the thing we must protect. But then we're like, okay, it's not, it's just, it's just a tool to help you come together at a certain point in time to say, is this working or isn't it? And we need the humans to be using their noggins at that particular point in time to say, it's not, we're not addressing that need. Let's talk about it. Let's fix it. And that you got brought together by the process, but you're right. Process alone. Oh, we have a process on that. So it'll, it'll catch everything. It's like, no, we need the, the individual parts to play their, their role to make that happen. 
Agreed. And this is probably the right time to say, we're not perfect at this. I've never right. been at a company that is perfect at this. And again, that's not the point. That's why you constantly are improving as you learn over time. The point is you create a process, a forum, and you have respect with your peers. And I do have the most fantastic colleagues that we can ask these critical questions of each other, that we can say, wait a minute, something doesn't feel right. Let's pause, let's whatever, let's huddle. That is the whole point. And again, the process organizes it. Maybe that's the right word, right? It brings organization to all of these critical conversations so that they happen and move forward in a timely manner. But it's that engagement, that's respect, that we're not each other's customers. Again, I'm going to go back to that because I think it applies here. We are each other's colleagues towards a common goal. And if my sales team fails, then that's my failure. That's product's failure, right? Right. That we are all equally invested in this. Right. You know, you paid an amazing picture um, and it must be amazing to collaborate with you. um, That's iconic. And, And I think the inevitable question I have in my mind hearing, it's not perfect, but it's like, you got a process that brings you back together. You have great team that respects each other and it gets it done. So with all those things being addressed or at least scheduled to be addressed, what kind of things keep you up at night? What, what really is the thing that you think about and maybe don't quite have, have nailed down? So when we first started talking, I said there were three things that make yes. up this puzzle and we've talked process and we've talked engagement. We haven't talked about data and mm. That's the answer to your question when it comes to what keeps me up at night. So part of having these really thoughtful conversations and really the drive to want to be better each and every time we do this means, okay, it's an experiment. Let's look at the data. And then when you want to do that and either you don't have the data or it's dirty or you can't connect things, especially with marketing, right? Attribution and our stack, and I will get to the stack later, but that's where all of this really starts to coalesce. And when we have data, it's fantastic. But I would say when we either don't have data or it's not usable for whatever reason, that's the stuff that I think really keeps me up at night. And the stuff, when we think about the iterations on this flywheel that we constantly go back to, wait, we wanted to make this informed decision. And now we can't, right? We did all the right stuff. We got to this place where it's like, okay, we need something to either support or refute what we're saying. And I can't even answer that for you. That drives me crazy, right? You've come so far just to have something goofy kind of trip you up. Yeah. And you can't, you can't make the call. You don't know. It's either dirty. Worse is if it's dirty, you don't know it and you're making calls based on it. Um, or you just don't have it, or to your point, it doesn't connect. You can't get into usable format. Yeah, I could see how that, it, almost like a linchpin or something where it just that can trip up the whole thing if you're not minding it. it. It certainly has its place on your list because yes, engagement and yes, process and these things could be singing. But you're right. If you don't have if the data is funky or not not accessible, then. Oof. So for us, what I would say we've seen more often than not is that we will try several different things. Sometimes it's deliberate, right? Hey, we've never done whatever before. Let's try a two, you know, two, three different ways to see what sticks. 
um, sometimes it's not deliberate, right? That we're just gonna try a couple of different things in hopes that you can parse out the signal from the noise, right? Even right. if our data collection isn't perfect, that one of these things will shine bright enough that we can say definitively, yes, right? This works or it does not work. So we, we try to work around it and there's a ton of data effort going on but again, I don't know any company that would sit and say, my data stack is perfect and my data is perfectly clean. Again, everybody has work to be doing right. towards having a totally functioning stack, not just for their department that can inform the entire company. And I guess that leads into that, that conversation on, on the tech stack. And I think this is the appropriate order where we didn't start, it's not starting with tech, we start with strategies, conversations, the process conversation, the engagement with the team. And then we think about how to build all that to function, maybe repeatable, scalable fashion in the tech. So how, how do you approach tech? Do you have any favorites? Do you have anything you're, you're looking at or? So I've got a couple of different thoughts. One, conceptually, I think this is a great question. Um, you're making me think of Good to Great by Jim Collins, where one of the nice. things that he really pushes on and is right is, Technology is an enabler, but it's not a strategy, right? Companies that are consistently successful have a core strategy that the technology just helps them use it better, faster, whatever, right? But it's not the thing right. that drives the company. And I think that's a great lead into your question. So for us, from a stack standpoint, we've got a ton of stuff going on. We certainly have a CRM an automation system. We use Google Analytics. Um, for us, our systems happen to be Salesforce and HubSpot. Um, we also work with a platform called Hive9, which is a marketing performance tool that you can basically layer in your marketing calendar plus all of your tech stack. Oh, that's cool. And it helps create yeah. some connectivity, right? I took action here and then I saw a signal here. Mm. So we're, that's how we're actively trying to, to get to some of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, Issues or comments with regards to the tech stack, I think the advancements in marketing are the same things that make it harder to have a tech stack, right? So things like account-based marketing, where you have to be hyper-focused, hyper-targeted. You're not sending out one email, you're sending out 20 into all of these different personas, right? The elegance of that and the complexity of that and the increased volume that that creates also means that the tech stack to support something like that is that much more complex and elegant, True. right? So I don't know anybody, no matter what your CRM or your automation tool that doesn't sometimes kind of shake their fist a little bit and be like, why is this so complicated? But the answer is, is because that's the state of marketing, right? Yes. There's right. a reason why tech and marketing are, you know, joined at the hip. And so I think it comes part and parcel. Um, I think we could or could not talk endlessly about how that impacts how you hire, right? And how you mm. create a marketing team and what the right roles are these days. But it is an important question, especially if you're really starting out fresh, fleshing out your team, fleshing out your stack to really think about what do you need right. to have on your team to be successful. Okay. Love that. You're my new favorite philosopher because- jeez. Oh, um, <laughs> Happy Friday. We're not even drinking people. We're just podcasting. <laughs> um, can you imagine? Um, pull up, you know, get out the absinthe and then away we go. Um, the, the, there, there's a hyper focus and elegance and the complexity that comes with ABM. And I want to ask you about ABM, but just calling out the fact that, yes, the strategy is 
there's more to it. So your tech, you're going to need more to it. It's not, you know, the more interesting you get and the more, the more strategies you pursue, you know, in the early days, no, your Excel spreadsheet's not going to cover you here. You do need a right. CRM. You do need now marketing automation to nurture and go long-term. Oh, you want to go ABM? You do need to be able to address it in a, in a more complex way. It's an account now. And there's, yes, it is, it, it is evolving, but it's also you're stepping up your game. So expecting that, the tech to get a little more interesting. That's, that's okay. I mean, I think everyone's trying to, you know, it's simple. Let's keep everything simple. Well, sometimes it's just not simple. You know, you're asking yeah. to do something powerful. You need something powerful as a, as a result. So um, love to get, what's your, what's your take? What's your philosopher stone, uh, no nonsense approach to, um, to ABM. So we are really diving into ABM this year. Not yeah. that we haven't been really fantastic about targeting and, and tailoring our messages in the past, but I think there's always something to attaching a name to something, right? right. That really coalesces oh, yeah. um, your strategy. So that's where we are. Um, and I think Taconic is a highly technical company in a highly technical industry. We're biotech, right? And so we are the poster child for a company that should be doing ABM. So I'll tell you, it's a lot of work, right? It is a lot of work. Your throughput is going to go up, right? Because you're not sending out one general message. You're sending out whatever, 20, 50, whatever your segmentation is now. And then you're tracking the engagement across all of these, you know, micro channels, maybe we'll call them. And so it definitely escalates the type of work. I think there's steps that you can take to make it scalable. And I think that goes back to your tech stack, right? The one piece of advice I would give to people, whether it's ABM or again, especially if you're at those first few steps in creating a team or a tech stack, and you you said this, this simplicity, I think that is the right first step. Mm. And the reason why I say that is you can always add complexity to your systems in your stack, but you can't ever claw it back out if you baked it into its basic functionality. <laughs> Does that make sense? And yes. so I, I, we've definitely seen that at different companies where we've done it both ways. And I'll tell you, if you're just starting out, make it simple, make it work, know it cold, and then add a layer and then add a layer. And it helps not only with understanding your tech stack, it helps with keeping your data clean and manageable. It helps you when you're hiring those first few employees, they don't have to be super detailed, right? You can add that level of complexity within yeah. your team, just like you are to your system. So simple isn't bad. I think it just depends on where you are in the evolution of your marketing team. So cool. It's hard to claw it back out if it's baked in. That's the, the key part. Because, you know, you can always simplify things, not if the, the essence of it has the complexity built into how you're even addressing it in the first place. Now you're really in trouble you may have not even start over um, as opposed to this is our simplest, you know, MVP viable campaign here. Let's start there. And I love that. You can always add in more bells and whistles to the reporting side and to um, everything. But I think that also at the same time, it's, it's, it can be a lot easier to track because you're like this, we're going after this particular actual account. Is it working or not? Are we, are they, have they signed up for us? And you can figure out why exactly, what kind of got their attention. That might be harder to figure out or deduce, but to say, okay, they're a priority. Are we 
have we connected with them? Are they engaged? They know we exist. Yes. Okay, cool. They know. Have they bought from us yet? Yes. Okay, great. You know, so there is some, some, if you can start with simplicity, there are some easy answers, but then you're right. Now it's like, how do we do that with two accounts, three accounts? How, how do you, do you have certain numbers or ratios you like, and do you have different tiers of accounts? Do you prioritize them that way? How do you approach, you know, instead of boiling the ocean, you sort of the focus into a few. Yeah, I think, I think we've always been pretty good about this, but the, again, naming a strategy like account-based marketing, I think helps all the more because there's some defined elements of it that force your hand. And so the idea of the ideal customer profile goes hand in hand with account-based marketing. And I'm going to say that actually takes us back to the flywheel in the sense that that's not a marketing decision, right? That's a product sales and marketing decision. And we've had some really fantastic conversations recently because we absolutely have to be aligned. It would crumble if I made this decision on my own. It's not mine to make. And so I do love that the dogma of ABM forces alignment. And I know you and I both know Sangram Vajri. I've read ABM is B2B. It's a fantastic book. His work is fantastic. Um, But I think maybe the very best part of it is what it does to a company, not what it does to marketing, right? Because marketing can implement targeting and focusing and be successful, right? That's what we've all been doing probably for the past 10 years. What's different about ABM is it's more of a corporate level strategy. It forces all of us to think, do we want to go after everybody? Does that make sense? Does that align with our strategy? Are we spending the right money to get the right customers as our customer acquisition cost and lifetime value ratios in balance to justify this? I don't know. Let's have these conversations, right? right? And really dive into it and then pull that back into your ABM strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So many things there. And shout out to Sangram. What's up, buddy? How are you? <laughs> we were just in his peak community that he has. If, he, if anyone hasn't heard of that, he has a group of marketers he just gets together and we have presentations and we get to learn from really smart people albeit some of the people who have been guests on this show so uh (laughs) so i don't know who's getting whose list from who but uh hey um (laughs) but no great minds great minds great people great minds um you know you brought up one of the biggest things that you know has been my complaint or other people's issues with the idea of account-based marketing is just calling it marketing and that you're right you can't decide an ideal customer profile in a silo like no one should decide that you know independent of the rest of everyone else um and so it really is a company decision so what is it like account-based company abc hey (laughs) we did joke about this right Uh, that you know i started socializing it several months ago let's say maybe six months ago because i wanted people to understand the concept become familiar with it google it right there's so much literature out there which is fantastic and everybody did that and which was fantastic and they got excited but then they almost immediately were like wait a minute but you said that this is going to involve everybody but it just says marketing and you said it's going to be about targeting but is it just accounts i thought we could target specific personas or market segments and it's like wait a minute it's a kind of a double-edged sword right naming something i think does help focus everybody and say this isn't my strategy that I made up, right? This is an accepted practice, right? That has some best practices that come with it that we should take advantage of, but how we implement it for our company 
is personal to us, right? So whether we target at the contact level, at the account level, at the geography level, all three, none of the above, that should be decided within each company. So it was kind of interesting from a marketer's perspective, did yeah. we brand this right? You know, did we use the term and did it help us to use it or did it hurt us? I think ultimately it helped us because I yes. think people could see just how much hype there is on this in the internet and in all of these different very well-respected areas, but it did cause some confusion where we did have to double back and say, this is what it's going to mean for us. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and there's, you could, you could go off on a mega tangent, like what would you rename it to get all the other groups to play? Cause like, right. Oh, marketing will play ball no matter what you call it, give it a, give it a logo and they'll, they'll join in, name it something to do with sales. So sales will think it's a sales training. And then, yeah, like you kind of shove it all together, but Hey, good enough yeah. for now. It focuses us in the conversation. I, I guess, you know, back to Sangram, you know, ABM is B2B. Like I, the title makes sense. It it's, it's less about marketing and more about just the, the company itself selling to businesses. So um, makes total sense. Uh, had a, had a thought. Did you have, have a thought or? No, I just, well, you brought up the conversation we had at the peak community yesterday yeah. and there was a fantastic speaker. And one of the things she said, I actually linked to what you and I are talking about is ABM or really anything that we're saying that makes the marketing concept bigger than marketing, right? And it elevates it to that corporate strategy. This woman, several people asked her, how do you get to be a CMO? I think this is the answer to that, right? She said, yes. you think outside of marketing, you think, how can I solve corporate level problems? ABM, or just that line of thought is part of the answer, one potential answer, right? So for folks that are trying to think of breaking out of just the vertical of marketing, I think this flywheel concept is part of it. And I think ABM, or again, just that line of thought of what is our corporate strategy is another way to do that. Elevate to the CMO by solving corporate level problems. Yep. Totally makes sense. Um, and then recently I've, I've taken on the CEO role of my own company um, and no longer get to dance around and be the CMO and have a great time. But, but as I think about uh, things that I'm, I'm expecting from, from um, the marketer on our team, Christina, who's amazing is the more she can solve corporate level problems. Like I have had to watch my brain start thinking at a different level at like, mm -hmm. okay, now I have all these functions reporting to me and I have to think in this way. Um, and you're right. Yeah. As I think of, yeah, as she solves here and there, these different problems that are actually corporate level problems that are problems for me that I'm trying to like, that is so helpful. And yeah. it's like, you're, you're proving yourself critical to the CEO by addressing things again, to your customer, or the CEO, <laughs> like things that, that the team really needs help with, you know, it has nothing to do necessarily with just that one marketing aspect, but it's a, the big company picture. So yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Where, where do you see the, the future? What, what's exciting you about the future? There's a lot of changes when COVID land and all that stuff is still, um, still. tech or strategies or behavior changes or what, what, what gets you jazzed? I, we've talked about what kind of keeps you up, but what, what gets you just excited to log in in the morning? So I did think about this ahead of time. I yeah. I'm gonna say, give you two different answers. One, I think piggybacks off of what we were just talking about. So I'll start there. There definitely is a pattern, and I've listened to several podcasts and news reports on this, that there's an increase in CMOs becoming CEOs. 
And I love that. And I think what we were just talking about is the reason behind it, right? That if marketing's done well now, it's not just marketing, right? It is implementing the corporate strategy again and again and again through what you bring to the market, right? Marketing has the word market in it. So the whole point is to address the market needs in a way that brings value to the customer and profit to the company. So somebody that has a keen understanding of that, I think is fantastic. Again, you see examples of this. So I, I absolutely love that. I will say that our CEO has a marketing background and it certainly impacts how she views things in the conversations that we have. The wow. second thing. Awesome yeah. to work for a CEO that values marketing too. She's fantastic. Yes, we are really fortunate. Um, the second thing that I was thinking about is the authenticity of marketing. And I think this is was already true pre-COVID, but has only become more true since COVID. And so, you know, back Mad Men type of era, you know, marketing was so superficial, right? And yeah. almost duping the consumer. Totally. And we're so at the opposite end of that spectrum with authenticity and the relationship that you can build between brands and consumers that is genuine and intimate and isn't separated by all of these different layers. And I think it's done a couple of things. One, I love the social responsibility aspect of it. That means something to me personally. And so I think companies embracing that as part of their authenticity is fantastic. The other thing that I think is really lovely is that type of marketing is more attainable for small business, Mm. right? It's not Mm -hmm. about taking out a Super Bowl commercial, right? Anybody can have a social media page and create genuine videos, right? And testimonials and connecting with people. And so I think it's opened up the door for small businesses to break out of the brick and mortar constraints that they would have had 10 plus years ago, right? And really thrive because they have a direct connection to potential customers and their consumers. So those are the two things that I'm really loving right now. Yeah, I can see. I know we talked earlier, you, you love what you do and I can see why describing these things and, and I'm with you on the authenticity. Actually, before even that, you had this beautiful quote about the value to the customer and the profit to the company. Like you're speaking, it's just, yeah, absolutely. And then on the authenticity side, that duping the customer, I think that's why early on, I really gravitated toward the B2B side. Um, and I, I had a chance to play in the B2C side a bit. And it almost felt like sometimes it was just, it was very hard to tell if you're just trying to dupe their mandula, I'm going to or like, were you trying to just get to their inside brain and make it buy another pair of running shoes as opposed to you actually need this thing right. and you know it's going to solve a problem, a specific problem at your company. Now, of course, both B2C and B2B have their, their dupingness, I guess, that you want to try to avoid. But at least on the B2B side, the hope was that it was a little more rational, which I guess is debatable. But at least, at least there's sometimes, hopefully there's a, a defined problem where they help you find a problem that you can specifically address. And it's a little more considered. Um, and, I, and I always liked that because it meant that it was that much more of a chance that I was actually helping someone else out too. I think that's a fair statement, right? Your motivations as a consumer on the B2B side are different by definition, right? I am making a decision on behalf of the company, not my own personal needs yeah. that, that will color my decision because how can it not? We're all humans, but the motivating factors are beyond just me. So I think there's a lot of truth in what you said. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
man, this is this has been fun and crazy. I'm I'm curious now. Who are you? <laughs> who are you? T- take me back to like little Kelly days. What was it like growing up? Where'd you grow up? And did you always know you're destined to be in marketing and a in a business thought leader? Um, no, um, <laughs> no. So um, I am from upstate New York. Um, okay. I knew that I loved science. I would say I am curious by nature. Maybe that's that's the one word that I would yeah. associate with me. And that's always been true. Um, so loved the science aspect, went to a small liberal arts college right outside of Albany for biology because I liked it, but had right. no idea what I was going to do with it. Um, I knew I didn't want to be in a lab. That wasn't for me. I love the output, right? But not not the day-to-day being in there and, and conducting yeah. the experiments. It just wasn't for me. And at some point along the way, someone said, gosh, pharmaceutical sales sounds like a nice balance for you because you literally are out and about talking yeah. about science. And I was like, well, gosh, that does sound really lovely. And so um, I got my MBA, was really fortunate to, to get hired into a fantastic women's health company. Um, and spent five years doing sales and field marketing. I was a field marketing liaison for them. And it was fantastic. And it, it really was one a perfect, perfect mm. first job because it, it gives you such a good baseline. Say what you want about pharmaceutical companies, but man, they do sales and marketing really well. So they? they're, they are as buttoned up as buttoned up could possibly be. And, wow. and I had a fantastic company on top of all of that, um, kind of formality in how they did things. And so it was just a perfect first experience. Um, And so then after that, I actually went to the opposite end of the spectrum and that is back to research and development for new medicines. Mm. And so I ended up becoming a business development manager for what we call a contract research organization. So all of these research institutions, whether it be pharma companies, biotechs, or even academic institutions, not all of them have their own lab space. It doesn't make sense for them to, right? It's an incredible amount of overhead. So you can outsource your scientists. So I spent about five years in sales and marketing, business development, basically selling integrated drug discovery programs. And then um, left the industry to work in sales and marketing for um, a smaller company and then came back about five years ago and have been with Taconic ever since. Wow. It's, you know, tell me about that because you were the biology side. It, it's cool that you, you sort of went for it. And then along the way, you're, do you remember a particular, was it like, because if you're, if you're majoring in bio, you're doing a lot of lab work. Do you remember a particular day where, you're like, oh God, I'm growing fungus again or something. And <laughs> you were just like, ah, this is it's not this part. And and do you remember who told you about the more of the, the sales and marketing side? Um, it is a really good question. And I don't think we talk enough about this. I actually was on a panel before COVID at a local pharmacy school because cool. everybody was asking similar questions, right? I have this passion. I'm about to have this degree. I could be a pharmacist in this case, or I could be fill in the blank, right? right. So um, to answer your question, I don't know if it was a moment, maybe it was like, you know, the third shower, you're trying to get the formaldehyde smell off of you and it's just not helping. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it just kind of happened. use that a lot, right? I, I think back to ninth grade and... <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if there was an inflection point, just at some point, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, I love this, but I don't know what I want to do with this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
for anybody, probably in any discipline, obviously science is mine, but there's a million different avenues you can take. You can be a corporate lawyer, you can be in marketing, you can be in sales. There's so many right. different ways, no matter what your given discipline is that you love. And so I think that is a really good point. Right. Huh. It, it's just cool that, that you can be still, and you're still in a, in a realm that you always liked to begin with. You're just a different aspect of it. And you've been able to just experience, experience both the sales and marketing side. That, that's got to have the, every, every time you meet a marketer who's done sales, I mean, you, you even shared earlier, the respect you have for sales is there. You understand the challenge they have. It's not all, you know, sometimes when you have like the, the people who haven't done the other job, they're like, oh, I, I can do a better job of that any day. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. try. <laughs> I think it goes back to the flywheel and I would say certainly impacted my journey in that I've worked for absolutely second to none sales teams. But what mm -hmm. I would say is I don't care how good your sales team is. If the product isn't there, if the marketing isn't there, sales can't save you. And that was part of why I kept migrating earlier on in the process because I saw it as a way to amplify the value, right? The better you can be as early as you can be, mm -hmm. then everything else downstream gets a thousand times easier. There's a fantastic book about this. It's called Developing Products in Half the Time. And one of the concepts that they talk about is the fuzzy front end of the development process. And one of the things they say is mistakes up here cost you so little versus mistakes downstream cost you everything, right? So take the time in those first turns of the flywheel, whatever you want to call it, to perfect what you're doing because everything else gets easier. And I think that's, to me, the takeaway that I had from sales is that, gosh, I was in meetings where I don't know what to say. I don't, you have a fantastic and legitimate question, customer. I don't have the answer, but I should, right? I should. Someone yeah. should have prepared me for this moment because there is a fantastic answer and it should be captured and written and on a piece of paper on our website, plastered on the wall, whatever the case may be. And so that was really for me why really it wasn't even one particular moment. I just started migrating. I would take on more responsibilities on the marketing side because it was like, gosh, this isn't just me. Everybody would benefit from this. So that's kind of where I'm going with that amplification is you get this right up front and it just goes like this. Yeah, man. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is a hypothetical question. And I, I may or may not have a time machine in Nashville, New Hampshire. Um, and let's say, you know, um, COVID is ending and wipe it all down. I mean, it's covered in the, it's in the backyard covered in tarp. So we got to get the squirrels out of it and all that, but you get a chance to use it and you go back in time, you get to meet yourself after graduating with that degree. I don't know if around that point of time you knew to try out those things or not, but you get to go meet yourself kind of in that transitionary moment of you've got your degree now, you know, fly and, and, and go. So you get to meet, you get to meet that Kelly. What kind of advice would you, would you give her knowing all the things you've been through and experiences and the jobs and all the, the life lessons, what kind of things would you tell her? So I might be in marketing now, but you can't ever really get the salesperson out of you. So I'd be lying if I said I wasn't really competitive. I like to win. I like to be at the top of that leaderboard. Um, 
and I've always kind of been a perfectionist for better or for worse. And I think when you're starting out in your career, you see these people, right? And they they seem perfect because they've achieved such success. And you read their books and you watch their documentaries. And that doesn't always show all the other mistakes that came along with getting to that success. And so it's an unrealistic goal to think that either you are perfect as a person or that your journey is going to be perfect. Um, you're going to make mistakes along the way. You've got to learn from them. And I would say the big thing is for all of us, you got to forgive yourself for not knowing at the time what you could never have known at the time, right? There's no yeah. way that you can have knowledge from experience and maturity and having walked the walk when you haven't done that yet. It's almost mm -hmm. silly to even say it out loud. Um, but I definitely have thought that way over time where it's like, gosh, I should have foreseen this coming. What's the matter with me? Ah, you know, but how could you? You've never had this happen to you before. And I yeah. think, you know, embracing that, talk to people who've been there, you know, debrief on it, postmort on it, talk about it, write things down, teach yourself lessons along the way, share them with other people because it's the stuff that you're gonna pull from later, right? I'm sure everybody would agree that the stumbles that you have are the stories that you tell the next time around when you're like, I know the solution. I know what we're gonna be up against and I know what to do about it now. So that would be my advice for my younger self. Oh, I love that. The stumbles are the stories. Yep. Um, you know, no one has ever, ever taken up the time machine on undoing a stumble in over mm -hmm. 200 and... 30 podcasts, no one has said, yeah, this thing. They've only yeah. just sort of um, encouraged themselves or to your point, forgive yourself. It's okay. It's a great point. And even tied back to, did you, did you call it a fuzzy front in that book? What was that book? You yeah. And it's not my term. It's literally the term that they use in the book. They call it the fuzzy front end. So it's basically okay. just the first part of the product development process where it is kind of nebulous, right? You're brainstorming, you're sitting around a table, you're trying to figure it all out take the time to do that, honor that time yeah. to do it. Don't rush through it thinking that the process will save you, right? Going back to what right. we talked about, be super critical, ask each other questions because that's the time to poke holes in it, right? Not two years and however amount of money and internal resources yeah. after. I feel like there's a parallel there to when you're early in your career and you're trying mm. to figure things out and to be okay with the, the fuzziness that goes on when you don't really know, you know, I was a recruiter for seven months, like, cool. Okay. I learned yeah. things. It's okay. But finding out that sooner than later, that maybe that's not your, your job, or like you found out, I don't really want to be a lab tech. You know, there's something else for me to do here on this mission and um, you can sort it out so that now, now you know, we're not chatting and you're just now getting out of the lab, you know, and you've been right. miserable for 10 right. years. So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. That's a fantastic um, parallel. Yeah, you did it. I just, I just listened to, I just heard it. <laughs> teamwork, 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 go team. Um, so, so tell me, you know, COVID, how, how you, you stay insane? You have any, you have some trips planned and what do you do for fun these days? Sure. So um, we've got two boys. So that's a whole lot of fun right there, even there if you is. don't <laughs> add in anything else, right? They're baked in fun um, and they're fantastic. And we're so fortunate that, you know, how can you complain if you, if you can check the big boxes in life, man, you know, what is there to complain yeah. about? So, you know, we enjoy travel. I would say we enjoy exploring. So we've just had to redefine what that means a little bit. It's not 
going overseas or, you know, getting on planes as often, but we've discovered, you know, all of these different paths around our house that, you know what, I'm not gonna lie, I probably wouldn't have found him if I had other maybe more grandiose things to do, but it's been so fun. Um, we adopted a dog. We've done all of these. What things. kind of dog? She is what they call a red healer. She's a cattle dog. Red healer. A red healer. So healer like the backs of your heels. So when they would herd cattle, they would nip at their heels. So that's why she is a healer, H-E-E-L-E-R. Oh, you look at that. That's a cool looking dog. Oh yeah. She's a cutie. She's a good girl. That is it that sort of brown tan. Yeah, she's color? like her name's red. So she's like a reddish brown, oh, and then wow. she's got freckles on her paws. I mean, she's a cutie. She's okay. a cutie. Awesome. And did you so you no dog before that? So the were the boys like just stoked to have a, a critter running around? <laughs> we had a dog before, but I would say he was the most undog dog gotcha. there was ever. Almost like so a cat. <laughs> just he was his own person. And you know what? He was lovely, but she right. is, I would say, much more their speed, much more rough and tumble, you know, get into it with you and wrestle and stuff. So they've had an absolute blast with her. No doubt. No doubt. And and I think you said earlier, you're probably going to cancel the trips overseas and that kind of thing. I know we were talking about Paris. We had, yeah. you know, we keep having this trip that we kind of kick the can down, down the street every time we, we, we push it. But, you know, if you can't go into museums, if you can't do the things that make any foreign excursion worth it, then I would rather wait, We'd rather wait and do it right. So yeah, lots more exploring around areas where we can drive these days. Totally, totally. What was it like book for the summertime or something? And you're thinking summertime is probably too soon or? Yeah, I mean, I will, I will hold on with my fingernails until the absolute last second that I have to cancel because that's yeah. me like, you know, fingers crossed, maybe yeah. something will happen. Um, I forget the dates. I think it's in July. July. Yeah. Oh, that'd be beautiful. I, yeah. I went last year for the first time. Um, last year? Before last year. Last I year. Say, did you though? It <laughs> didn't actually happen in my memory. I didn't do anything yeah. last year. So yeah, no, uh, 2019 first time. Um, and yeah, I, you know, what's interesting. I liked it because of the Delta of what I thought I would, how much I would like it to how much I really did. I kind of wow. had the negative brand impression of the, the rude Parisians and don't even try to speak French because they're going to call you on being a bad speaker. And, and um, no, no, I didn't have any of that. And it was great. And I, but I immediately understood the culture was, Hey, let's drink wine. Let's eat really good food. Let's just kind of enjoy life. Like that's yeah. what we're going to do. And everything else is like secondary to that. And as soon as I sort of, sort of got on board with that, everything yeah. just sort of clicked. And I was like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. Agreed. I have not had a bad experience in any travel excursion. You know, fingers crossed, knock on whatever. There's, you know, every place is different, but to your point, there's a lesson everywhere. Yeah. And that's why you go, right? It's beautiful right. scenery. It's great people. And you learn a different way to live your life, even if it's just for, you know, a week or whatever that time is. Yeah. And apparently this is the number one podcast or we're battling for number one marketing podcast in Azerbaijan. So at some point, I'm just going to need to visit and then, you know, have a little party. I love it. All the listeners. There where, you go. <laughs> one day we're coming, Azerbaijan. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> um, awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, where can people connect with you if they want to reach out? Just, you know, get get connected. Yeah, I would say LinkedIn is where it's at for me. So Kelly Owen Grover, MBA on LinkedIn. Would love to hear from anybody. I am, you know, a nerd for all of these marketing things. So nerd yeah. out, reach out to me, send me what you guys are hearing. I would love to hear about it. I think 
that to me is part of the attraction with marketing is it is a discipline. You can study it. It's innovating. It's tech driven. It's never boring. I think there's just so much to love about it that it doesn't get boring because to me that would be that would be the worst is that you know you've done it all you've learned it all and there's nothing new right right then it's time to just hang up the hat no that's that's fantastic so good thank you so much for coming on here and hanging out and talking shop with me and schooling me on all your your philosophies i don't know if you realize you're getting philosophical you have some real experience i can tell that you've been you you know what you're talking about well i think that is a lovely compliment. I appreciate it. And it was fun. I love stuff like this. I love, you know, I think your questions were spot on. I hope your listeners get a lot out of it. And I think it's a topic that we don't talk about as often with marketing, because I think there are new shiny things like social and digital that people talk about more often. And it's not to say that one is more important than the other, but I think it's just a different angle. And I think it's a more elevated angle that for folks that are looking to maybe transition, it's just something to think about. 100%. 100%. You can spend lots of money on shiny objects. You see it all the time. And then that never can, it can have zero equation over to the revenue side if you're not managing process. Without the process, you you could be burning the cash on the front end. So it's it's critical. It's really important step. So I'm glad you addressed it for sure. Um, it really got people thinking about, and also just the feeling of what it's like to work in a company where sales and product and marketing are in the same process together, yeah, it sounded really good. It sounded like I was like, I want to, I want that. Sign me up for that. That sounds really. <laughs> we're good. not perfect, but we're trying to be. Right, it's that right. journey of trying to right. be, and, and I think we're all rowing in the same direction. And they're fantastic people, which that's ninety percent of it, right? Get the right people in the boat with you, and just start rowing in the same direction. Yeah, it's all about the people. People yep. make make it so much better. Agreed for sure. Well, Kelly, this has been awesome. Thank you Agreed. so much. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate it. And for those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.